you love Jesus, can I get a hey, hey, hey? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, it's good to have you here. Thank you for coming. Hey, 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 this is Metro Praise International. I got some special guests with me today that are going to share their testimony with you. They used to be students in the Bible college that I taught at. Now they're church planners in Philadelphia. So let's give it up for David and Cherie Dominguez as they come. What's going on? Hey, what's up? Listen, it is a great honor to be in one of the best churches in the nation, and I mean that. MPI, listen, this is, I see this as a pop-up Bible. You know the pop-up books? It's a pop-up Bible because, you, man, you guys follow the Bible to the T. So I'm excited to be here. Listen, my name is David Dominguez. This is my wife. I just want to remove all distractions real fast. I know she's way finer than me. I know I married out of my league. It's God's grace. So just let's get that out the way. Just look at her. She's fine. Look at me. I'm ugly. Let's get that out the way. In addition, Eagles are going to win. So listen, man, we're excited to be here. So we're from Philadelphia. Uh, we're actually from Florida. We've been in Philly for about a year and a half. And just to give you a quick rundown how we got to Philly, um, my parents were illegal immigrants to this country, right, from Colombia. And I lived in Philadelphia when I was younger. And uh, I witnessed my father's attempted assassination right in front of, right before my eyes. We ended up moving down to Miami. I grew up down in Miami. It was, you know, Miami's a beautiful place. Um, but when we initially spoke to the leaders uh, at Assemblies of God U.S. Missions, uh, we're U.S. missionaries, they mentioned a couple cities. They said, where do you feel called? I said, listen, to be honest, I don't want to go to a place where there's, uh, you know, ministries popping up everywhere. We want to go somewhere where the need is. And they said, Philadelphia is one of those cities. And, and, and it brought me back to that six-year-old kid. I said, you know what? Explain to him what happened. They said, man, go visit Philadelphia. So we went out there. From day one, we felt like we were at home. Man, it's, it's a phenomenal city, one of the best cities in the nation. And, uh, you know, you're talking about the birthplace of our nation. But it's also number one in deep poverty. It, it's an intense city. Really bad, man, when it comes to opioid addiction. Really bad when it comes to poverty. And it's just super intense. So we saw a great city with a lot of need. And we were drawn there. So we've been there for about a year and a half. We're planting Philly Dream Center Church. We are underneath the Dream Center Network. Uh, we are bringing SUM as well, uh, so don't try to transfer. Don't transfer. You stay here because I won't accept you. I'll send you back if you fly out. So um, listen, man, we're, we're just excited. We thank you for this time. We believe that God is going to do some great things in Philadelphia. Pray with us because, listen, Philadelphia is the birthplace of our nation. It's the heart of our nation. And I believe if we change the heart, we could change this nation. So, man, just pray with us. Pray with us. And I'll tell you, man, that just... If I came to this church, man, I'd, I'd do a few things. I would pray for your pastors. You know, that's something I, I would definitely do. Take some time out every single day to pray for your pastors because they're living the gospel out like really no other church is. And I would say pray for your pastors because they, they come under attack, you know, emotionally, physically, uh, especially mentally, this guy. Um, <laughs> Pray for your pastors. Listen, invite people to church. Witness, evangelize, tell people about Jesus. Give somebody a card. Tell them there's nobody on your block that should not know that MPI is the best church in the nation. Invite somebody to church. And third, here's another thing I would do is, is, is I would give unconditionally. I would give more than I even can because, man, we're witnesses of this. Listen, we have four kids, all teenagers. We're provided for. They eat a lot. And we're no government assistance for over probably 15 years almost. God has blessed us, and I'm telling you, giving is, is, is a reality. It helps. It does it. Give unconditionally. Give more than you can. And, uh, man, I would just encourage you with that. And stay faithful. You know, keep doing what you're doing. So, man, we're excited to be here. Thank you, Pastor Joe. I don't know if you have a couple questions for us. but Amen. That's awesome. You know, they didn't really share their testimony, too, so if I could share it. He used to be in gangs, and God saved him out of gangs, and she was a good girl, and God saved her, too. So I was a bad boy, and he was a bad boy, and you guys were good girls, but that's okay. God knows how to hook us up, give us the right kind of wife. And then another thing is that they have, uh, their oldest is 19, so they started young, but man, they have raised their kids to serve God, and now they're going to Bible college, so pray for their family, especially. And uh, we're not able to take on more missionaries at this 
this time, but we're going to sow a seed from the church of $250 into their ministry. <laughs> I know, you got a lot of jokes, man. That's why I was like waiting for the punchline, and then you finally said it. Pray for him mentally, mentally. Pastor needs your prayers. That was good. And let me tell you something. Above your tithe, above your offering that, that you typically give, to give to missions, it's an honor. And, man, I, I respect that 100%. I know we're not one of your missionaries, but let me tell you something, man. It's changing lives around the world, so appreciate that. And uh, there's their website, so phillydreamcenter.com. Is that it? Philly Dream Center O-R-G. Okay. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's give it up for them, the Dominguezes. Here's your coffee, good sir. Hipster slash gangster now servant of the Lord. Oh, it's T. Okay, you're my man. All right, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I love that he got jokes. That was good. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're new to the church, we're going through a sermon series right now on the book of Ephesians called In Him. Somebody say, In Him. Amen. Thank you. And this is where we go verse by verse. We started this in February of 2017. We're going to hopefully finish it at the end of this year, so probably about two years to go through this whole book. I want you to put yourself in their place, okay? And I want you to read it every single week. Audio Bible, you can do this in 20 minutes. If you read it from start to finish, it'll probably take you about an hour, just like normal reading, so audio is a little bit faster. I've been doing it ever since I've asked you to do it, okay? And God's been blessing my life tremendously. Two testimonies from this past weekend. Number one, I turned 41 years old. Praise God, I'm still alive. Amen. And my wife and I are pregnant with number six. So God is good. Thank you guys for your prayers. And I want to tell you, every single time I read the book of uh, Ephesians, I get God speaking to my heart. Now, I read my Bible seven days a week, so I only take one to read Ephesians, and I take the other six days to read the rest of the books of the Bible. Just so far in January, I've read all of Ezekiel, all of uh, Jeremiah, and also all of Isaiah, which are like the biggest prophetic books. Guys, get into your word this year. Can I hear an amen? So we're going to do our part at church. We're going to make sure that you stay in it with us, but make time outside of church to read your Bible seven days a week. Get your face out of Facebook and put your face into his book. Can I get a well? Come on, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Today we're going to talk about the creed. Somebody say the creed. Thank you. Paul is speaking here. He's locked up, but he's writing this epistle. That's how much Christianity meant to him. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How many of you have received a calling to live for Jesus? Okay, now notice this. It doesn't say live worthy to get your calling. So this is not how Christianity works. You do not do a bunch of good things, and then God calls you up and says, hey, guess what? I want to save you now. That's not how it works. You answer the call to be saved first, then you do good work. So let me make sure you guys got this. Does a child have to be born first, or does a child learn how to do arithmetic first? What happens first? The birth, right? Does a car go to the racetrack and win a race first, or does the car have to be made first? Okay? Does a sinner do good works first, or does a sinner become a Christian first? See, you become born again. The Bible says no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. A sinner can no more keep the commands of God than you can keep your arms flapping and fly like a bird. You cannot change your nature. You may think that you can do things to renovate your life, New Year's resolutions, but you are fooling yourself. You are not good enough to save yourself. You must be saved. And any work you do as a sinner cannot help you in the long run. So Mother Teresa, if she was not born again will go to the same hell as Adolf Hitler. And the thief on the cross who asked Jesus into his heart in the last moments will go to the same heaven as the Apostle Paul. Are you listening? So you must be born again. That is Paul's words that we've already read in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. No one is going to boast of the works that they did because God did the work. When Jesus was on the cross, the last thing he said was, it it is finished. You are not on a treadmill of good works trying to lose spiritual weight to make yourself more spiritually acceptable this year. You have to accept the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and accept his version of life right now. Stop living your version. Can I get an amen? Now, do Christians keep the commands of God? Yes, Christians, born-again saints, keep the commands of God. Why? Because their nature has been changed. My 
son who has now been born into my family keeps the commands in my house. The Bible says that we are the workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So I cannot do what a bird does because I do not have the ability of a bird, but I can get in a plane and go 30,000 feet at 700 miles an hour. How many are thankful for planes, okay? Come on. So what does God do? God does what you can't do. God does the work in you. He wants to move you to keep his commands. The prophet said, I will move you, speaking on behalf of God, my spirit will move you to keep all of my commands and decrees. So think of God's commands as impossible as you being a bird flying 30,000 feet. You can't. But think of being born again, getting into the airplane, and then being able to fly at 30,000 feet. Can you fly at 30,000 feet without the airplane? Can you keep the commands without the Spirit of God? No, you cannot. So when you hear Paul say, live a life worthy of the calling you have received, are you supposed to argue with him and say, nobody's perfect, Paul. I'm always going to be a sinner. Feel sorry for me. Is that what you're supposed to do? Or are you supposed to look right back at Paul and say, yes and amen, I believe I will walk worthy. Because verse 2 says, be completely humble. That means you don't have an excuse now for any pride in your life. So you may say, well, nobody's perfect, Pastor. The Bible said, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. Was Jesus lying? The Bible says, be holy for your Father is holy. Your God is holy. The Bible says, be righteous in all that you do. So what is true, you or the Bible? The Bible is true. But do I make myself completely holy? Do I make myself completely humble? Or am I made completely humble, completely holy? I am made completely humble at being born again. And then I don't resist the Holy Spirit, and I let him do his work in me. Everybody say actual. And everybody say potential. The reason why I have the potential to do holy things is because I have actually been made holy. The reason why an apple seed can become an apple tree, it has that potential, is because it's actually an apple seed with the chemicals and the compounds and the minerals to do that. You can keep every single command of God potentially because actually they're there right now by the Holy Spirit. When he said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, that's for more than you just trying to get out of paying a toll after you forgot your toll tag at the expressway. Oh, Oh man, how greater is he that's in me, he that's in the world. Let me find 25 more cents in my car to put in there. No, that's not just for you to pray like that. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. It's for you to be completely humble. When the Bible says you can do all things through Christ, that's not just for you. When you have a big presentation on your job or students a test to take or you're trying to save up your money or lose weight, oh, greater is he that's in me. You know, they make all these videos to motivate you from the churches and they have them jogging and greater is he that's in me. It's in the world. I can do all things. It is not for you to go to the gym, though you can apply it there. When it's talking about greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world and you can do all things through Christ, this is where it applies. Be completely humble. Be gentle, be patient, bear with one in love, one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's why you have been born again for that purpose. Is losing weight a part of it? Yeah. Making money on your job a part of it? Yes. But the Bible says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Some of you feel like you're God's pottery project on his table that he never gets done, like in some third grade uh, pottery class at some dilapidated you know, thing over there. That's not who you are. You are the workmanship and the masterpiece of God. If you're not, get born again into the image of Christ. Those of us who are born again, we hear the call of Paul to live a worthy life, and we say yes and amen. And when he says be completely humble, that's my default. Do you want to drink water completely clear, or do you want it to be 0.1% anthrax and kind of clear? 99.99% pure, but 0.01% anthrax. Is that the kind of water you want? What is the default water you want? Pure water. What is the default of your lifestyle? Humility, uh, hum humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other. That is the default position of every Christian. You should know if something gets into your pure water ungodly. Repent of it quickly and restore. Restore. Ask the Lord to restore restore to you the purity that he gave you. I am not a dirty cup always trying to be cleansed and one day I get clean when I go to heaven. I am a clean cup now remaining clean on my way to heaven. I am a holy cup. I am a separated from the world kind of cup. I am a righteous kind of cup like he's a righteous kind of cup. Is anybody else here serving Jesus the right way?
That's why you can obey the commands of God. The commands of God are not burdensome. When I hear a command from the Lord, I'm not burdened by it. If you're burdened by it, you don't have the right heart. The commands that my wife give me are not burdensome to love her, to honor her, to take care of her. Anytime I sense selfishness in my heart, that is not my default position. I repent and go back to the place I should be as a humble servant of my wife, as a humble father. This is the kind of lifestyle God wants us to live. Am I earning my salvation? Am I doing this to be saved? No, this is working out from my salvation why I was saved. I am doing this because Christ made me a new person and I'm walking worthy of that calling. How many want to do it as well? Say amen. This is the message of Christianity. We are because he is. We can do because of what he's done. I'm not trying to do a bunch of good works. Do, 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 do begins to smell like do, do. I be a child of God, and then I can do what a child of God does. I be born again, and then I can live like a son or daughter of the Lord. Are you listening? That's Christianity. So Paul is reminding us to live worthy of our calling. So anytime I'm not humble, no excuse. Repent. Remain in complete humility. Anytime I'm not gentle, I repent. Remain in gentleness. Anytime I'm not patient, no excuse. Let the Spirit convict you. Remain in patience. Whenever you don't bear with one another, you are to repent and say, Lord, keep me in the, uh, the love that you have. And whenever I don't keep unity, I am to repent. The default, once again, of a worthy life before God, ma- making your life worth it, is this question right here. Is what I'm living for worth Christ dying for? Did you hear what I said? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? That's the kind of lifestyle you should live. Now today's message is on the creed of Paul. Paul puts into his wonderful letter a creed that we should all acknowledge. Let's read it together. One, two, three. There is one and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How many believe that creed today? One of the most beautiful things you'll notice about your Bible is it gives you a worldview. A worldview is a set of lenses that you view the world from. Oprah Winfrey has a worldview, and her worldview is going to lead her to hell. Uh, Donald Trump has a worldview. That will lead him to hell. Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton will get there first. Uh, But listen to me. The world has a worldview, and it is the worldview of me, myself, and I. And so I just look at you about what you're going to do for me. And I look at this world, what I can get out of it. My name's Jimmy, and I'll take all you can give me. And then, of course, there's religions that come along, and then there's the worldview, the way the Muslim sees the world through their five pillars and praying towards Mecca, the way the Hindu does towards reincarnation and all the multiple gods, the, the Catholic and the Pope and Father Tom. That's how they see the world and praying to Aunt Mima or some saint that has died. And that's the worldview. But here is the Christian's worldview. This is a creed that goes back 2,000 years. As a matter of fact, this creed predates Paul's conversion. Those of you who don't know the story of Paul, he was a Jewish person that uh, persecuted Christians. Remember, it was the Jews who had Jesus arrested and given over to the Romans to be crucified. Paul was on their side. Paul in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostle, or the story of the Apostles, fifth book in the New Testament, tells how he was a part of killing one of the early disciples, Stephen. He was a bad dude that didn't like Christians, but he had an encounter with Jesus, and then after his encounter began to write the New Testament, and his books, like the ones you're reading now, actually predate the four gospel. As a matter of fact, Luke was his traveling assistant that wrote a gospel from the eyewitnesses so they could give that gospel to the churches that Paul was planting. Paul is in this letter talking to people from Ephesus, a Roman city who were pagans who had witchcraft and believed in worshiping and praying to spirits, but had been saved, delivered. they seen people healed. And Paul was with them then for two and a half years, left elders in charge of their Bible studies like we do here with discipleship, and went and traveled off, but then wrote a letter back to them. And this was the letter. This was probably the only Bible that they had. The New Testament church's Bible was the Old Testament, by the way. The New Testament was still being written, but they couldn't own all those 39 scrolls. That was too expensive, and most of them couldn't read. So the only thing a New Testament Christian would have would be the house church letter from the region they were from. That's why I ask you to read it weekly, is so you can put yourself in their position and be saturated and be desperate for the Word of God and hungry for it as they would have been hungry meeting together and committing it to memory. And so what I want us to do is honor the Word of God, commit this to memory right now in the church. Are you ready? 
I want you to honor this. It is a simple learning device. He starts off everything with one, hence the big one. And then there are seven things that there are one of in our Christian creed, our belief system. It's really easy to memorize if you just think of one and then seven things. Seven is the number of completion. Paul probably chose it on purpose so that you could have a sense of comparative uh, nature to the days of the week and for certain other learning devices to make seven easier to remember than, say, six or eight. This is a creed that was passed down. Paul is using this with them. This predates even Paul's Christianity because as he was persecuting them, they were confessing this creed willing to die for it. Now he's in jail for that same creed. That's how important it was to him. So just think of it like this. One, and then the seven things we're going to list. That's what's easy for me. We'll learn it together. Let's say it together. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Let's do it again. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. One more time. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. I'll give $10 to the first person that can raise their hand and say it from memory. All right, come on up, TJ. Let's give it up for him as he comes. TJ's one of our Bible college students about ready to get paid. Amen. So one body, one spirit, one hope. No. Yeah. Okay. So one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. One, one Lord, one, no. uh, oh, okay, let me just do it one more time, one more time. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one, no. Ten dollars to the next person who can raise their hand. Jose, come on up. You got to earn it here. I do the same thing with my children, but bro, I bet you got this. You better nail it like you a preacher. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father overall. Amen. God bless you. Love you, my brother. Thank you for that. See, we honor the word of God here. We, we appreciate sports and what they can do, but putting a ball through a metal rim doesn't impress me. Someone who understands the creed and the worldview of Christianity impresses me. My heroes are not people who wore tights and tackled each other. No offense, however that game goes today. But my hero, and we have you know, sports fans here, but my heroes are those who laid down their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think we agree with that. This creed cost people their lives. This is what cost them their freedom. This is why we're known as Protestants around the world because we protested the Roman Catholic Church when they got in power around the 5th and 6th century, elevated one of their popes out of all of the churches that were planted and started adding in new traditions that weren't in our scriptures and said, bow down and do it this way. We were burned at the stake with the rest of the folks in the Inquisitions because we said, no, there's only one Lord. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. I don't need a Father Tom or a Saint Joseph. I just need Jesus. Are you listening to me? When they translated the Bible, the one body of Christ, when they translated it out of the Latin, which nobody read anymore in Europe, into German, into Swedish, all of these languages of Europe, they burned us at the stake, the Catholics, because we said the Bible belongs to the full body of Christ. These are the things that men and women are, men and women are still living and dying for today. Search on your phone right now the destruction of a Chinese church. Over $4 million church was torn down. The house church leaders were arrested because this is their confession of faith. This is what Christians believe. We don't mean it antagonistically. We don't want to do it out of anger. We love the world. We love the Hindu, the Muslim, all of these worldviews. I spend time with them just like you do. I actually weep with them. I am broken over their destination. I relate to them as a sinner. I'm no better off than them. Are you listening? I'm better off, rather, but not better than them. How many know that's true? But it's not because of anything I did. Can I take the credit of my salvation? Can my son Lucas take the credit of his birth? No. 
You see, there's a maker that makes us Christians. And if you come to the maker, he'll make you a disciple. The Bible says, know the truth, and the truth shall make you free or set you free. And so what I want to do today is I want to run through this creed and teach it to you. Can I do that? Amen. Let me go ahead and show it to you with the scriptures. So follow along with me as I begin to teach you what the Bible says about the one body. Let's say one body. One body is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, made up of many members from all times and places with Jesus as the head. So we can look to the uh, book of Ephesians and actually see the same analogy given as a body when it relates to the church. It says, from him, talking about Jesus in Ephesians 4.16, from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its... As each part does its what? So what are you supposed to do in the church? You're supposed to work. Are you a part of the one body? See, the Bible says we're not just limited by this building today. We're a part of the one body that has always believed this of all places and times. There's no big I's and little U's. So whatever Paul was in this body, we are today. Whatever they are in China, we are today. Whatever New Life Covenant, Chicago Tab, Living Word, Armitage, Baptist, great churches around this city are, we are today. We are a body. Christ is our head. Think about where your head goes, your body follows. Your body doesn't go this way and your head go that way, does it? And in wrestling, if you can handle the head, you can handle the body. And what the Bible is saying, Christ is our head. We follow Christ in all that we do, not a man. See, today, God forbid, something could happen to me. But would this church continue on? Am I the head of this church? No, Christ is the head of this church. There are other people here that will continue to build it up in love and do their work. How many are working for Jesus today? That's what the Bible teaches us. The next thing that we learn is one spirit. Somebody say one spirit. That's why we don't pray to dead saints. I don't need another interaction with another spirit. I am an alive saint, and I have my own relationship with Jesus. Do you understand that? So I don't need to pray to the spirit of Mary. I don't need to pray to the spirit of my grandma. If you go to the grave, your grandma's spirit's not there. Your grandma's either in heaven or hell, shut off from you, and now your only hope is to pray to the God of your grandma. Are you listening? Now, if you want to go to the graveside and honor it, that's fine, but your grandma is is no longer there. Her spirit's in heaven or hell, and God is your mediator. The Holy Spirit is what mediates the presence of God with us. Now, I don't have time to read all of these passages, but if you go with me to John chapter 14, and if you have time today, you can read all of these, and these notes are online or on our app. You can read all of these passages that teach you about your relationship to the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, you're going to learn the Trinity here. He talks about the Spirit. He talks about the Lord Jesus, who is the Son, And he talks about God the Father. I'll remind you of that as we go through it. But listen to what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands. How many love Jesus? How many keep his commands? Amen. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That is parakletos in the Greek. And he will be there to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. How many know that people think you're crazy when you talk about being filled with the Holy Ghost? Because they don't see it. They don't believe it. They think you're talking about Casper the ghost. And they say, no, I don't believe that. Well, the Bible says you know why they don't believe it? It's because they haven't been born again by him. And the Holy Spirit confirms himself to us in our spirit by giving us regeneration. Now, somebody may say, Pastor, I don't believe what I can't see. Well, then you must not believe in yourself that you exist then because I can't see you. You go, well, no, look at me. I can show you my arm. I can show you my body. No, you just showed me your body. Show me the you that's thinking right now. Oh, I'll put myself on a brain scan. No, I didn't say show me your brain and electrons lighting up. I said show me you. Show me that voice you're hearing. You can't show me you no more than you could show me God. But you see, God is in you just like you are in you. God comes to live and dwell in us in our spirit. You are a spiritual being. You are made in the image of God to be in an earth suit, this body. But because we sin, now your body is subject to death. Are you listening? And so you need to get born again in your spirit so that when your body dies, you go to be reunited with God, and then you can come back to rule and reign with him. That's our one hope. Somebody say one hope. I got the rest of the scriptures there for you to look at. But when we go to our one hope, what was the hope of the Christians? The hope of the Christians is not reincarnation. That's a lie. The hope of the 
Christian is not to go to heaven and play golf. It's not to uh, do all the things on earth we couldn't do. That's vanity, my friends. Uh, golf, uh, fishing will be as boring to you in heaven as hearing a lecture right now on mechanical engineering, unless you're a mechanical engineer. A couple of you would love that. But uh, it would be as boring as for whatever you don't like. These things are just types and shadows of the joy we find in God. Now, of course, God made us to enjoy nature and the things about that. But when I'm in heaven, my friends, I am not going to be thinking about trying to slam dunk like Michael Jordan. When I'm in heaven, the greatest glory will be in the presence of God and knowing the wonders of who he is. Just like when I'm in the presence of my wife, roses lose their beauty. When I'm in the presence of my wife, I don't have to watch a romantic comedy to get love. I have love. You see, that's what it will be like in the presence of God is the things of this world will pass away. Are you listening to me? I'll sing you an old hymn because I don't mind embarrassing myself so you catch a heavy revy because I want some of you all to get it now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes to Jesus. You'll see everything else turned in. I promise you with that. I am so full of my love for my wife that I can't be tempted with the things of another woman. When you get so full of good home cooking, you know, with my birthday, uh, wanted to, my wife wanted to make something that we could love and enjoy. I, I wanted shrimp scampi and fried raviolis with garlic bread and all these things. My friend, after I ate all of that, you could not offer me one other thing to eat. I was so full on the food that I enjoyed. God wants you so full on his love that you won't be tempted by what Lady Gaga is tempted by. You won't be tempted by what the world is tempted by. Your hope is beyond the scope of human limitations. Your hope is in Jesus. Amen? And that hope is when your body dies, you go to heaven with Jesus, and then you come back to rule and reign with him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. The Garden of Eden does get restored, friends. Heaven is a temporary place. We were always meant to dwell on earth, but because our bodies must die because of sin, we'll go there until he comes back to judge the earth. Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When we as Christians are away from the body, where are we at home with? We're at home with the Lord. Amen. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 through 13, it talks about Jesus' second coming. How many believe he's going to come back? Amen. There's about 300 scriptures that talk about Jesus' first coming. There's over 1,200 that talk about his second coming. What do you think we're supposed to be setting our eyes on now? The second coming. Brothers and sisters, Paul talking to the church of Thessalonica, where my family is from, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, Thessaloniki. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed, which means ignorant about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. We should not grieve like they grieve. That's why we don't go to their grave sites like they do, who have no hope. See, they don't have any hope. That's why they talk into a, a rock. I know my loved one's either in heaven or in hell, and my God is with me, and he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Will I miss them at times? Yes, but I will not live hopeless. My hope is in Jesus Christ and nothing less. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many believe Jesus died and rose again? And so we believe that God will bring us with Jesus who have fallen asleep in him. How many believe Jesus died and raised again? How many believe those who die will raise again? That is our hope in Jesus Christ. Don't put your hope in a fairy tale. There are religious fairy tales out there. There is no place called purgatory. It's heaven or hell. This is your one chance, my friends. There is no reincarnation. This is your life. Make it count. The Bible says wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Make sure you're the few that find it. Amen. Everybody say one Lord. One Lord is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. Did you know that Jesus was the Son of God and also God? Go with me to Titus 2.13. I'm going to explain to you the Trinity. Remember I said I would do that for you? When we learn the baptismal formula in just a few moments, you'll see that it goes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's who we baptize in the name of, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Paul is working his way backwards, Spirit, Son, and Father. 
When we look at the Trinity, we look at three divine persons who are equal in nature. They share the same name. Just because they have different roles does not mean that they are different in nature. I have a different role in my house than my wife and than my children have. So I'm over my wife and I'm over my children. But does that mean my wife and my children have a different human nature than me? No, I share the same human nature my wife does and my children does, even though I have authority. God has authority in the Trinity over the Son and over the Spirit, and the Father and Son send forth the Spirit. But that doesn't mean the Son and the Spirit are less than divine as Jesus is divine. Bible says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, was the Son of God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made by Him. Okay, so in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. So He He was there with God as God, but not the Father. You say, I don't understand that. Listen to it like this. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three separate persons who equally share divinity. Think of it like this today. The Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is fully God. But what? But we don't believe in three gods. I don't believe like the Mormons do, that the Father is a, a separate God, the Son's a separate God, the Holy Spirit's a separate God. We don't believe like Jehovah Witnesses do, that there's only God the Father, and then Jesus is a second created God that the Father cr- uh, made, like uh, Zeus creates Hercules. And then we don't believe what oneness Pentecostals believe. Those are the ones who don't wear makeup, women have long hair and can't wear pants, they only got skirts on. Uh, They believe that God is one person, but sometimes he's the father, puts on the father's cap. Sometimes he's the son. Sometimes he's the spirit. We believe in the Trinity. That means there are three separate persons, but one divine being sharing that essence of who God is. Now look at the scriptures if you don't believe me. It says, while we wait, uh, Titus 2.13, while we're waiting for our blessed hope, notice the hope is mentioned there, the appearing of the glory of our great who? Our great what? Our great God and Savior who? Jesus Christ. Now, do we have two gods, the Father God and Jesus God? No. The Son is fully God, and the Father is fully God, and the Spirit is fully God, three sharing one nature. You can continue to study that on your own, and we've preached on that quite often. Everybody say one faith. There's many faiths in the world, but sadly, they're make-believe faith. Yes, you can believe stuff, but it can be make-believe. The Bible is based on the truth of God's character. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. If you didn't know that Jesus had siblings, Mary wasn't a perpetual virgin, you need to read the Bible. The book of James and the book of Jude were written by the two men that grew up with Jesus. They're actually named in the New Testament uh, Gospels as well. Jude is writing to the early church, and this is what he says. He says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the common... uh, the salvation we have in common and that we share. He said, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Everybody say, the faith. Thank you. That was entrusted uh, for all God's holy people. What kind of people? What kind of people? Holy. So listen to this. Jude said, hey, man, I wanted to talk to you about salvation, but first I got to tell you about contending for the faith. Was there ever a time that we had to contend more? I don't think so. I even think right now our culture is contending more than even they did. We are in the battle of eternity right now for the faith of Christianity. For the first time, there are Christians that claim they can be such and homosexual. Even in their day, people didn't claim such ludicrous things, just disgusting things, ludicrous. Today, we have Christians that say they can kill unborn children in the womb and be okay. This never even existed. Christians, by the way, would go to the Roman people's graveyards where they would throw and abandon their babies to die there and to die miserable deaths. Christians would come and take the children and adopt them. That's why today Christians still have orphanages and atheists don't. Are you listening? But now there are people in the name of Christ who support abortion, homosexuality. And I love people who have done those things. We have those people in our church, and I've committed crimes, and there's other sins you've done that I haven't. Okay, we get all of that. But here's the deal. We need to contend for our faith. We need to stand up for it and say this is what it is. Contending doesn't mean we're angry at people. doesn't mean we fight with them. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, as we'll learn later on in Ephesians. Our battle is against the wrong mindsets. Our battle is against the world views. So I say it like this. I love Catholics, but I hate Catholicism. I love Muslims. I hate Islam. I love people. Uh, I love Hindus, but I hate Hinduism. Do you understand? I hate atheism. I hate wickedness and evil. I hate what it is. I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. God so loved the world. See, not just the good world. He loved the world while we were yet sinners. He died for us. I love gangbangers, but I hate gangs. Are you listening? I love to make babies, but I hate adultery and premarital sex. Can I keep it real? I love to kick back and drink a beer, but I hate drunkenness. 
I love to spend money on good things, but I hate greed. We got to contend for the faith. Love the truth, hate a lie. I don't hate the person. Be, you know, my daughter puts two plus two equals five. When she does it, I don't hate her. I just hate that lie. And I say, you're better than that. God created you for, to know two plus two is not five, it's four. And when you tell me I got to pray five times towards a rock in Mecca, that's a lie. I hate that lie. That's not going to do anybody any good. And if you tell me I get to come back as a spider next time, and the next time I get to come back as a chimpanzee, are you listening to me? That's reincarnation in the view of uh, of evolution kind of there. I didn't go from the goo through the zoo to to you. You know, I'm not not doing that. I was made in the image of God. I hate those lies because when you tell them they are animals, they act like animals. You tell the businessman he lives in a dog-eat-dog world and you see Enron happen or corruption. We can't get mad at corrupt businessmen because they were taught in the colleges they went to that there is no God, there is no morality, might is right, choose your own way. Well, his own way is to rip you off and steal steal your retirement. How can you blame him if you've lived the same way, stealing your time from that boss on the job, using a social security that wasn't yours? Are you listening? See, from the bottom to the top, we need a transformation of soul by the faith we have in Jesus Christ. So we need to contend for it. I believe this. This is what God says, and it settles it. Amen? Our one baptism. This is why we don't baptize children. So me one place a child was baptized, and I'll dunk all of mine today in the bathtub. Amen? Oh, y'all get quiet when I talk like that? No, I'm just telling you the truth. Show me one time Jesus called a child over and baptized him, and I'll do it right now with all of our children. No, we baptize those who understand the faith. But what happens to the children who die without baptism? See, that's why they did it. They had maybe a good motive, but they were wrong. Even having a good motive for a lie still makes you wrong. The motive was if a child is born and then dies and not baptized because they had a lot of uh, you know, infant mort- mortality, a lot of infants died at this time, and so did the mothers, sadly. But they said, well, we better get them baptized as soon as possible to make sure they go to heaven. But does the Bible say we're saved by baptism? No, we're saved by faith. But then what did he say to the children? He said, bring the children here unto me, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Children have a default place in the kingdom of God. Isn't that like our merciful God? He's a father. He's going to be merciful to them. And then he gives you a choice. So a baptism is for those who can profess their faith. Therefore, verse 19, Jesus talking, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Who do we baptize? Disciples. The them is the disciples. Who do we baptize? The disciples, those who profess their faith and the creed, the belief of a Christian. And then we baptize them in the names, the multiple names of our God, or of our plural gods. We No, baptize them in the what? Name, singular. How many gods do we have? One. And our God is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And now what do we teach? A baptized disciple. We teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. So aren't you a little bit upset at them churches that ain't teaching you everything? They look a lot nicer than me, I know. They wear those suits, and they charge you $150 for those conferences, and they'll let you come to a concert for $30. But let me ask you something. Are they teaching you to obey everything, or are they keeping you busted and disgusted, just taking your money to keep the religious enterprise going? Not saying we're the only ones, but it's about time Christians learn to live like Christ. It's about time we believe we are who he said he said we are. If he said I'm a child of God, I want to live like a child of God. If he said I'm born again, show me the new life I'm born to live. Amen? The next thing that we learn is there's one God and Father. One God and Father. Now, does that mean that there's nobody in the Trinity except the Father? No. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Somebody say the Shema. I know I go fast. That's why we record these things. You can go back over it. The Shema is the Hebrew word for listen or hear. Listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. To say it in the Hebrew... It says, Shema, O Israel, Yahweh, our Elohim, Yahweh is a God, one. So do we have multiple gods? No, but we have multiple persons sharing the divinity of our God. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere, omnibenevolent. Who is our God? He is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But now watch Paul as he uses his theological mind to teach us the reality here of the Trinity. He says, the Lord, our God. Now, remember, we learned that the Lord was our Jesus, that we must confess him as Lord, Romans 10, 9, and everyone must bow down, Philippians chapter 2, and confess him as Lord to be saved. Can I hear an amen? So there's no contradiction here. But then he says, God the Father. So I thought God the Father was our Lord. Yes, but now Jesus is also our Lord. So somebody may say like a Jehovah Witness. See, it says God is our Father. There's only God here. The rest of it says the Lord and the Spirit. But then I have to ask them, is Jesus Lord? Yeah, well, Jesus is Lord. Well, then it says here the Lord is our God. 
So is Jesus our God as well? Well, then now you have a contradiction for the Jehovah Witness because if they're saying only the Father is God, now they're saying the Father is not also Lord. Let me make it simple. Father, Son, and Spirit all share the title of Lord. Father, Son, and Spirit all share the title of God. The Athanasian Creed, written around 300 A.D., helps us understand it. We don't believe in three lords, one Lord. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God, who is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So now the question is, why did Paul choose to call Jesus Lord and God the Father, or the Father God? Why did he use that term predominantly? Even though I could show you in Titus that he called Jesus God as well, and he calls the Spirit God. But why predominantly is Father God Jesus Lord? is because he wanted to show that the scriptures of the lordship of the Old Testament applied to Jesus where it was already obvious that the deity already applied to the Father, God the Father. So what he wanted to do was to elevate in his theological teachings Jesus to the place of Lord, which is Yahweh. He wanted to show them that Jesus is Yahweh like God the Father. Can I hear an amen? Let me show it to you one more time if you don't believe it. First Corinthians chapter, or excuse me, let me go to this one. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I want to show you this in closing. Paul said, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and that the head of every woman is the man, and that the head of Christ is God. You see how that flows? Because I'm the head of my wife, does that mean I'm a better human being than her? No. And because God the Father is over Christ, does that mean he's more God than Christ? Come on, somebody say no. How do I know that? Because now I can go to John 1, 1, and what does it say? As I said before, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and then now what does it say here? And the Word, but hold on, isn't the Word with God? Was He with Himself? No, it says right here who He was with. Keep going down to verse 14. The Word became flesh. He made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if we go back to John 1, 1, it doesn't say son or father there, but now we can kind of insert it because verse 14 tells us who those characters are. So we could say, in the beginning was the son, and the son was with the father, and the son was God like the father. Oh, y'all don't get that. Y'all make me got to go to verse 18. Somebody say, preach it. Thank God for the Bible, amen. There's one more verse that will help us. See if this one helps you. Same chapter, same author verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and his closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Mm, That's so deep, Pastor. We get to know the Trinity through Jesus Christ. That's the whole sermon series. Do you get it? We get to experience the Spirit, the Son, and the Father because of what Jesus did coming in the flesh. Somebody say, make it plain. I just want to say this in closing today in a way that hopefully everybody will get it. It's deep theology, I know, but it's the things that are practical to our lives when you live it. When you live out these truths, you'll see what they mean to your life. Band, would you come, please? I want to tell you a story about a man named Polycarp. Anybody ever hear of Polycarp? A few of you? Amen. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. Okay? So Peter's in jail. He gets beheaded around 60 A.D. John gets boiled alive. It doesn't kill him. But then they put him on an island called Patmos, and they disband him from the Roman world. But before that happened, Polycarp was a young man saved under his ministry. Think about like my son Lucas, five years old. That's about how old Polycarp was when he heard John the Apostle preach. So he gets, his, he gets saved, gives his life to Jesus. He starts living for God. Like I said, Paul the Apostle dies. His mentor, John, gets exiled to an island, and he grows up serving God. Early on, he had to be a leader, probably like Timothy in the Bible was an early teenage leader, maybe 19 or early 20s. I was 22 years old when I started my first church, around that age. Polycarp, like Timothy, starts the churches and keeps the things going, man. He's doing awesome. He lives his life for God. The persecution moves from the Jewish people being angry with this to the Romans being angry. See, the problem that the Romans had is not that they had a problem with Jesus being God. That was the problem the Jewish people had. That's why they said he was committing blasphemy. That's how they could get him to be crucified by the Romans because they gave him the highest charge that they could give in their religion, which was blasphemy. He's making himself out to be God, okay? But the Romans didn't care about that. We have a ton of gods. Here was their problem. No God is greater than our God, and Caesar is everybody's Lord. So in their worldview, 
Our gods are the father gods. So you can have all the other little gods underneath our father gods. And then your Lord, which was literally the term they would use, your master you bow before and treat as a god among men is the Caesar of Rome, the emperor of Rome. That is your God, man. There he is. Bow and worship him. So now the Christians don't do it. They start dying by the hundreds. They start being burned alive. They start being taken into the arenas, being eaten by wild beasts. Ignatius is eaten by wild beasts. He was a disciple of Paul and these men as well. Polycarp, though, is spared. For whatever reason, they don't catch him. He lives to be 90 years old. He is an old man. And now the emperor says, we got to get these guys to still tell the stories of the apostles. So they set out to capture Polycarp. Let's go get him. We're hearing he knew the apostles. He's still alive. He's spreading his lies. The Roman Empire put out a hit on him. The soldiers find where he's at. They come to arrest him. He says, before you arrest me and bring me to Rome to be killed, can I pray first? They let him pray. As he begins to pray, the soldiers say amongst themselves, dear God, what are we doing? This is a 90-year-old man praying for us. Why are we going to bring him to be murdered and killed? But nonetheless, they bring him to the emperor. They then put him, now I want you to understand this. They then put him in a stadium like the, like the soldier field in the time of Super Bowl, if the Bears ever would to get there. Come on. And they put, the, he, they put him right there. And now the man in charge is pleading with Polycarp, pleading with him. And this is what the man is saying in our written records. He is saying, old man, don't die for this. Don't die a gruesome death in front of us all. Deny Christ as the supreme God. And say, Caesar is your Lord, and we'll let you go free. It was like yesterday, I was buying some jeans, and I was asking for a discount, and then they were ringing me up, and they said, you're in the military, right? And we'll give you a 10% discount. I said, no, I didn't, I'm not in the military. I never told you that. And they said, yeah, I thought I heard you say that. And then I began to understand he was trying to get me to acknowledge that. And I said, listen, I'm not in the military, and a 10% discount ain't worth my soul. Polycarp looks back at the emperor, looks back at the people in front of this whole stadium, and this is what he says. He says, 86 years have I served Jesus. 90 years old, gave his heart to Jesus at 4 years old. 86 years I've served him, and he's never done me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior now? And they said, okay, have your way away with him. And they were going to nail him to the post and set him on fire. And he said, I need no nails. I'll stand here willingly to die for him. That was his creed. They set the bundle of wood on fire. And as he was being burned alive, his face began to shine like an angel. And the people said, this man must have known God. That's what this creed meant to the church fathers. That's the price that they paid. You can look up what happened to our disciples. They crucified Peter upside down. They, you know, Doubting Thomas, who said, I have to touch him. They speared Doubting Thomas to death in India as he went to go be a missionary. Bartholomew, that unknown disciple, was skinned alive. Another one of our disciples was about ready to be beheaded, and they were giving him the same ultimatum. I believe this is James. And as they were giving him that ultimatum, he said it would be an honor to die. The one that was going to behead him said, then let me die with him. I've never seen so much courage. And then they killed the executioner with the apostle. That's how they died for their creed. Why? Because they understood there was one body. Though we may be meeting in a small church, though we may not have a lot, they understood there is one body and I am in the body of Christ. He is my head. There is one spirit in that same Holy Spirit that breathed into us and let us be alive and created the universe is with us now. And though we may not see any hope here, there is a hope beyond this body that when I'm absent from it, I'm with the Lord. And they understood there was one Lord, one God man that walked among us who died, was buried and rose again and ascended. And his name was Jesus. 
and they understood that there was one faith. They were not saved by their good works. They were not saved by keeping the law. They were not saved by their fast. They were saved by believing in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that his crucifixion was for their sin and his blood was for them. He died that they might live, and there was one baptism just like there is today in Pakistan in the churches we support with our books. They know when they go in that water and they say, Jesus is my Lord, and they dunk them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They now know they can die in Islam as apostates' death, but they do it willingly because there is one baptism that symbolizes the salvation of their soul, being buried with Christ and being raised anew. And they know that there is one God who is their father. He is not God the force. He is not God the jihadist. He is not God the distant one. He is God their father. How Jesus taught them to pray, our father, my father in heaven. That is our creed. That is what we believe. If you believe it today, would you stand up? Give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Somebody say amen. Let's say amen if we believe it. Altar workers, would you come, please? Let us pray right now and make this real in our lives. If today you have not been born again, be born again today. All you have to do is confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. Surrender your life to Jesus. Those of you who have been born again, Pray this creed over your life so that you can remember it and commit it to memory. Say, Lord, I'm thankful for the body, the one body, the spirit, the hope. Come on, somebody, the Lord of my life, the faith that saves me. Gracias, Señor, for the baptism that initiates me into the church. Thank you, Father, for adopting me. We're praying right now. If you're not saved, you're getting saved. If you're not born again, you're getting it right now. Freedom, new life is yours. In Jesus' name, receive. Call out the name of Jesus. The Bible says whoever says Jesus is Lord will be saved. And all Christians today who believe this will live the life of God. Five more seconds and then we're going to pray for our lost family members and our friends to become saved too. We're going to pray that this creed is known around the world, that this is our preaching. This is our message, not in anger. We're not angry with people. We love people. We don't want them to perish though. Now begin to say names of people or names of places you want to see transformed by the power of the gospel, this creed. The Bible says the church will be called a house of prayer for the nations. Come on, some of you name out the nations you want to see saved. The cities you want to see saved. I want to see Lahore, Pakistan, save Jesus. New Delhi, India, save Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I want to see Beijing, China, save Jesus. Name out some of the names of your friends. I want to see Ashta, Vivek, Steve, Michelle family members name their names i want to see cities nations family members friends saved jesus pray for them pray for them you can't force them to accept christ but your prayers can make opportunities your prayers can make opportunities for them my mom would pray for me, and street witnesses would meet me in the parks as I was skateboarding. My mom would pray for me, and I would meet old Sunday school teachers while I was going to go get beer and drugs. Come on, somebody. Pray for your lost friends and family. Pray for cities. Pray for nations. The gospel needs to reach them. Opportunities to hear and believe. Hear and believe. I pray for Chicago, the north side, the south side, the west side, the suburbs, the surrounding areas, for all cultures, all ethnic groups, all economic statuses. Save this city, oh God. Save my family members. Oh Jesus, you've been so good to us. We believe.
Now, before you go, would you place your hand over your heart and just say, I believe. This is what I believe. Come on, say it like you mean it. This is what I believe. This is my worldview. I'm willing to live and die for this. This is my foundation. On the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In Christ alone. In Christ alone. In his word alone. I believe. Lord, I ask now as we leave out believing that we would live what we believe. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, can you say amen one more time? You're not tired, are you? Come on, let's bless him. We love you, Jesus. Gloria a Dios. Hallelujah. Woo. Would you slap your neighbor high five and say, live by the creed. God bless you as you go. If you would like to be prayed for, would you come up? We'll love to pray for you. Otherwise, enjoy the after party. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Live out that creed today. If you're going through something, let us pray for you before you go. Otherwise, enjoy your day. We'll see you at Life Groups. Time your kingdom come, your 